Well, it's another week of Auto Catch-Up, and you know what that means. It's the the podcast where we recap all of the automotive news that happens in the week that has just passed. And um, we've got some really interesting news for you this week. We've got Porsche set to become a synthetic fuel maker from 2022. We've got Ford going all electric in Europe by 2030. And... Um, Thankfully, Valentine's Day has already passed because it seems like uh, we've got a new standard um, for the ultimate Valentine's gifts, and we'll talk that through later. But to talk through all of that, I've got Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo. Welcome back, Joel. You've uh, had a good week. Yeah, hi, Ash. Yeah, a bit of a quietish week because we spent three days of it in lockdown. So, um, yeah, that was uh, an interesting start to the week, but uh, good to be out and back out and about. Yeah, well, that's... Um, yeah, it's it's good to be back out and out on the road, and um, you've even been uh, hitting up uh, some of the some our our well, not our season opener anymore, but um, one of our F one tracks. Uh, yeah, what well, what's supposed to be our season yeah. opener track, but no. won't be, and probably would have been right in the middle of a construction zone. Uh, I did a couple of laps of uh, the Grand Prix track on uh, using pedal power instead of uh, engine power today but um, we'll talk about some of the stuff that uh, I saw there today when we get to uh, some of our motorsport Yeah, news. cool. Well, um, so this week I have been driving the Hyundai i30 sedan active. Um, if you remember from last week, I was driving the Elite model and this week it's uh, I stepped down a level essentially into uh, the lower spec and um, I've got to say I found it really interesting. So there's a few things which are massive obvious differences so you've got one being you've got no digital display you've got a slightly smaller infotainment screen um as well as uh your you know the what do you call it i've forgotten it's been so long uh your manual air conditioning so it's it's not fully automatic or anything like that it's just you've got the dials and um and away you go which is kind of a funny thing to see in a car which has such a a forward looking design it is fairly modern in every other respect but um it kind of feels like you're taking a step back in time when you see the dials again rather than the nice digital um air con controls um but a few interesting quirks as well. So everything in terms of the size and how it drives, it, it's great. It's it's no different to the Elite. But um, but what I did find interesting is that so this just like the uh, just like the Elite, the Active has wireless um, phone charging, but it also has wireless CarPlay. Where meanwhile the what from a, for the standard yeah model. so you've got wireless CarPlay and wireless impressive. Android Auto in the Active, but when you step up to the to the Elite, which has the larger infotainment screen and the more sort of the current crop of uh, infotainment screens for Hyundai, um, it doesn't have it, and so it must be something of the the supplier which they have for this particular infotainment screen must have that just baked in as the feature, and um, and so. Finally, it, it doesn't seem to happen off enough just yet. Um, but I can sit in with my iPhone, place it on the wireless charger, and it'll, it'll seamlessly connect um, to the infotainment screen, and I have my Apple CarPlay ready to go. Um, that's pretty cool. All whilst yeah, charging. exactly. So that and and then for me, that's always been a really like a bugbear really when cars have come with wireless charging is that I still needed the cable to utilize Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. And so the wireless charging feature never really got used unless I had, I just so happened to have a passenger um, that needed to charge their phone. But this is sort of, you know, there's, 
mainly the BMWs in the past, which which I've driven have had that but they have never really fit the phone properly into the space um but in the in the i30 it's got a nice big space you just push it up up against the corner which makes it really easy for aligning the wireless charging coils and um and away you go and uh it's still wireless carplay is not perfect it still does drop out every now and again it doesn't fully crash in terms of you know it stops your audio and, and stuff like that it just stops displaying on the screen gives you a message and um you have to tap to get back into it but if you're listening to a music or podcast or an audio book you don't have to worry about it and this but this isn't unique to Hyundai a few others with wireless CarPlay do have that issue as well um, so I think it is an Apple problem or an, a wireless CarPlay issue rather than a problem with um, with this specific car so I'm not too worried about that and because it doesn't interrupt the music all the time it it only bugs me if I'm using nav or anything like that where I really want that information on the screen all the time but it's you know it's not really you shouldn't have to accept it but you know it's still nice to have the wireless carplay feature because i just don't have to have that extra cable i can leave my phone in my pocket or i can just sit it down on the wireless charger and i don't have to fumble around and um from a security point of view that's also great when you have one less cable out on display when you park the car somewhere yeah you can literally drop it into the um the wireless charger and then also be able to um have it yeah. connect but not have to have that you know you have to have a cable with you all the time and depending on who's driving the car obviously you know you can it just drop it in exactly. and away you go so that's very and to come out of a base yeah. model like that's pretty impressive so. yeah so this is what I expect to be fairly much the norm moving forwards particularly as infotainment systems get upgraded so this is really nice to have it does um you do miss out on a couple of safety features on this. So um, you don't have blind spot monitoring, but you do have your active cruise control. Um, so it is a bit of a hit and miss for those bits and pieces. But as a basic car to get into the i30 sedan, I think it's it ticks most of the boxes that but the majority of people are probably going to be looking for. And if you're wanting those small um, features or that larger display or the digital display, it still isn't a massive jump to get up into that elite model um, if you're wanting to chase those features. But I think as a basic car, um, particularly if you, I, I, I think of fleet as well, um, with this type of vehicle, and um, yeah, I think it, I think it works well. It did. It was a little bit funny going back to a you know a key and barrel um, startup. So it isn't push button start, um, but yet again, I think um, that's normal for a Hyundai Kia at a start yeah. point. Entry yeah, point into the it is becoming be, less be common though amongst its competitors. So that's where it is. Just if you are shopping around for a car, you'll probably find and notice there's little bits and pieces, um, but. If you're coming from a car that already has that, well, you're not really missing out on much or, you know, it's, and again, it's really, if you're only just chasing those specific features where it's going to be, you know, a deciding factor for you, but you get all of the other benefits of, um, of Hyundai, um, you know, you know, you're not skimping on the, the warranty or servicing or anything like that. Um, so yeah, overall, you know, positive experience. It didn't, you know, it's not a car that will, um, blow your socks off and you know that sort of thing in this spec level in particular but even then it's not a bad looking car at all even in this trim um we had a we went went from the red uh 
previously to the to the dark blue this week, and um, it still remains a, a, a you know pretty good looking car um, for for what it is. Yeah, it's pretty good for you know for for the spec for the entry point. It sounds uh, like it's uh, a bit of a good buy. Yeah, it certainly is, and um, I'm sure there'll be uh, some some good deals floating around as well. Um, but I'm certainly start. I'm slowly starting to see more of them on the road, which is nice. Uh, nice to see, particularly with the you know with that US inspired styling it has. Yeah. Okay, should we get into some of our news this week? So this, um, like I said in the in the intro, we've had some interesting news come out this week. Um, with the first one being Porsche is set to become a synthetic fuel maker from 2022. Now, you're going to say, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, essentially, Porsche wants to... Reduce its, um, you know, its reliance on unloaded fuel and diesel, and and have an alternative available, especially when um, you've got the majority of the world going to electric. So you've got to start to think, well, how are we going to support that um, with, you know, as a as a carbon neutral alternative to petrol and diesel. And particularly when Porsche is built on a lot of history, it doesn't really surprise me that they're looking into um, something like this. So they're partnering with Siemens Energy, AME, and Enel, as well as a Chilean petrochemical company, ENAP. And um, they'll be opening a new manufacturing plant in Chile that will make the synthetic fuel with the aid of wind power. So this is pretty... Pretty interesting, pretty bold move. Um, it's certainly a way to, you know, there's a lot of a lot of barriers for them to, to work through at the moment. Um, but if you start to think about the heritage of Porsche and the huge amount of, you know, the huge fleet of which they have, um, and they're designing this synthetic fuel to be used in unmodified engines, so you don't have to do anything different. Um you know, and, and not having an impact on performance, and even saying um, Wallace, uh, one of the one of the people from the project, saying that some engines will actually see an increase in horsepower from it. So I think this is this is pretty interesting, pretty well move, and um, but I do think uh, you know this this could have some potential um, uh, traction if you want to say it that way. Um, as creating an alternative, particularly when, you know, another thing which they say is it can reduce the CO2 impact of, you know, about 85%. Yeah, this is big news in terms of what they're trying to do, but it's interesting that Porsche behind it, considering, you know, what's coming out for them from yeah. an electric point of view, but also in further news, we're going to talk about one of their other new vehicles that are coming. Um, it's, you know, that's it is a big step up in, in terms of being able to be more carbon neutral and to be cleaner for the environment uh i think it's a it's a it's a good step and i think it 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 allows brands to still be able to you know work and be a cleaner company um by able to have something like this synthetic fuel without having to go sort of full electric and normally with with classic cars it is normally the the struggle with tech as technology moves on and even as fuels get better um usually with, if you're running an older car, you're going to have to have to add additives in there to make sure that it runs properly. Um, but you know, with Porsche wanting to future-proof their boxer and and flat six engines and things like that um, in their current form, 
this is a you know they're seeing this as a necessity and um, other Volkswagen automotive brands have apparently invested into this so Bentley and Audi um, so they're certainly seeing as um, yeah as a as a potential moving forwards for you know keeping these historic cars and future historic cars running for for many years um, with their production capacity looking at by 2024 they're expecting 55 million liters per year um, stepping up to 550 million liters by 2026 and um, what is interesting is that McLaren are saying that they should have a prototype soon capable of running um, the the e-fuel as well as if you think about you know a lot of people buying cars today won't be necessarily racing out to replace their cars so if we can give them a better cleaner alternative to running normal petrol or diesel with no impact on performance or even better performance um, you know this could help a lot more people than than just uh, Porsche customers yeah exactly and the fact that it's going to be you know it's obviously going to be an open and viable thing yeah. in the market it's going to be it's going to change a lot of it um, like you say, for particularly some older models, and and particularly in the the reduction of you know CO2s and and nitrous oxides yeah. in the air, I think it's really really good to see the being able to do that to 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 be a cleaner to allow cars to be yeah, cleaner. Yeah, absolutely. And um, talking talking of going cleaner, so Ford, um, they're planning on going to all electric in Europe uh, by twenty thirty. So they've set the lofty goal um, as the EU start to increase pressure on this sort of transition to electric futures. So it might not be as... It's a fairly bold claim given that it is 2021 and um, the the level of investment probably isn't as huge as, say, even GM. Um, so they're saying that Ford will spend or invest over a billion dollars to convert its factory in Cologne in Germany into its first EV production line in the continent and um, they, they will transition to EV production gradually over the next decade. By 2024, the company's entire commercial lineup will be zero emissions capable, all electric or plug-in hybrid. Um, So yeah, so this is really... It's a big step. It's an interesting step given that um, they are just talking about Europe only and they're not talking about other parts, other, you know, even us as a market or particularly the US. Um, But obviously, they've they've got to start somewhere and... um, there's obviously a certain amount of the market of their models available in in the EU, which are probably easier to to transition those first, and um, look at you know solving sorts of other problems such as the F one fifty. Now we know that they are building an electric F one fifty, but you know there's certain things they probably want to get through first to before going all electric by a certain time. There's there's certain problems they probably want to to solve with that. Um, but yeah, but this is a pretty, pretty big move. Yeah, it's a really big move. Um, you know, we've already seen it with GM, and the other news that came out this week is that Jaguar is going to move. Yeah. Jaguar Land Rover is also going to move down this route. Um, look, it's an interesting thing, and I understand it, and we're seeing more of it. But it, it does mean that the death of the the petrol vehicle, um, and I understand it particularly for Europe and stuff like that, and, and America. Um, but what I can't understand, and, and we're seeing a prime example of that at the moment, is in Texas with, you know, the issues that that country, that um, that area of the U.S. is having at the moment with these massive storms that's cutting out electricity for you know a mm. week on mm. end. Um, 
if you've got an electric car and the grid can't handle, um, you know, like we obviously we have it in Australia with rolling blackouts um, when it's hot in summer um, and they're having the same problem, they're having rolling blackouts because it's so cold, you know, they're having to turn off electricity. What happens if people are buying electric cars and we're starting to move into this area um, and the grid can't support the the network? That's it's the one thing I I, 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 under, I can't sort of struggle to see. I know they're pushing this way, but to go fully electric, it's a big step. I mean, uh, people might buy one electric car and still have a petrol yeah. car in their household or diesel, but to go fully electric, I, I think particularly in certain parts of the world, I think it's really hard to adapt to. I understand it. Mm. And I can see why they're trying to do it. And having driven electric cars, look, they're great. Um, they're great for the environment. They're all zero, you know, zero emission and and all this sort of stuff. But you know, I think it's it's hard to expect. Um, I know we're not doing it for at least said, another nine years or so, but mm. you know, it, it's a big thing to expect more and more people to buy uh, and to be relying on pure electric vehicles. Yeah, so you mentioned Jaguar Land Rover, and this is the really interesting thing to compound on that. So Ford are aiming for Europe in 2030. Um, California is going to be is looking to ban um, petrol or what they say, what they call gas cars by 2035. Um, but then Jaguar really surprised everyone by coming out and saying that Jaguar themselves will go EV only by 2025. Now, that's only four years away. And there's only one all-electric Jaguar right now, and that's the I-Pace. And so this kind of took everybody by surprise. And um, they've already... I don't know. It's, it's, it is really interesting because of the things that you bring up. So Jaguar, they're basically betting that there's going to be faster than expected market adoption of these EVs. Um, and they're probably trying to get ahead of what the competition are putting out. So so let's think about um, BMW, Mercedes, Audi. Now, they're starting to roll out electric vehicles, but they're probably not at the point where they're going to be fully electric anytime soon. Um, but Jaguar are really hoping to, to get in ahead of that. They've already cancelled and they've probably really focused their product line because for, we, if they're talking about 2025 being only electric vehicles available for sale, that means pretty much any of those vehicles they're planning on offering by that time or at that time are already in development. And um, Jaguar yeah. have focused that, so they've cancelled the XJ sedan, um, which they were building an all-electric version of that. So that project has been canned, so it's not going to be making um, that transition to an EV. Now, the question is around some of the other sports models. So is that are we going to see an, an electric um, F-Type? Are we going to see, uh, you know... Uh, what happens to those sorts of cars? Surely there'll be, you know, electric versions of those. But at the first, I don't know. This is given that they've just updated the car. Um, but it also means that how much of an update can we see in the future in the next four years, given that every essentially every product that Jaguar is selling right now has, uh, you know, a, you know a, a four years of, of dealer floor market um you know, shelf life left before those models are retired and replaced with all electric ones. Yeah, it's and it's a big step to them roll it out in such a short yeah. period yeah. as well. Um, and again, but I know 
we're talking about two brands that are talking predominantly about Europe as being their main um, market, and we know that the UK is trying to push at the moment towards being, um, you know, cutting down like the like California the sales of petrol and and diesel vehicles. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense that they're they're trying to head that in that direction. But yeah, it's it, it's a lot to say that you're going to change your entire mm. range within the next sort of three to you know four to five yeah. years. So. And and even you know the the XJ. So according to this Auto Week article, they were saying that the the it's unsure what is going to be. You know, this is fairly drastic, um, and even the XJ was surprised. Was in EV form was meant to arrive in battery electric form later this year. So the project was already developed about ninety percent of the way to production. So that money has been invested and spent, and essentially abandoned right at you know on that last bit of the straight. Um, really makes you think. Well, what's going on? Is is that? It, was it not delivering on what they were expecting? And so rather than getting a product out and saying, well, this is what to expect of our electric cars, um, are they going back and saying, well, we can develop something better and we're going to focus on that and get it out the door ready for 2025? It's really interesting. I, I really do. To go, to, yeah, to go back on what you've already planned, um, it's kind of an interesting decision to say, oh, no, we're going to... We're gonna, Go back to the drawing board for that because obviously it wasn't yeah. right. So it's a yeah. good choice. No, it's certainly going to be an interesting thing to watch. We, you know, we're still having a lot of um, EV news coming out, but even this week, the EV news is a little bit slower this week. And but we've still got plenty of um, of, of internal combustion vehicles. So even from that point of view, we, we still have lots of new vehicles particularly here in australia and um yeah it, it makes me think of how if jaguar will go all electric by 2025 how are we as a market in australia are going to cope with that and is it going to attract buyers in the same way if that infrastructure hasn't caught up yet now four years is a long time um but at the same time uh are we going to get there that's uh and that's what's going to be right like a lot has to, a lot has to change in australia for it to um and I know this has been a subject we've yeah. talked about, and I'll, I'll come to it in a minute. We're talking about hydrogen, but in Australia, we just don't have the ability to. Um, we don't have the network mm-hmm. to support it. We don't have enough yeah. charges. You know whether it's like in Queensland, you know, having issues when you've been trying to have to get cars to be charged. You know, there's not enough stations around to support. You know, all of a sudden, a couple of brands being purely defined to run on electric and to be able to support that. That network and, and a prime example of that. I know it's not electric, but it, we, we've talked about hydrogen in the past, and we've talked about the you know the likes of Mirai and uh, or Toyota and Hyundai mm-hmm. with their hydrogen vehicles. But in the US at the moment, there's a shortage of um, hydrogen, and I know that there's been issues with stations, been massive lineups for people to be able to go and, and there was a shot that was posted during the week out of the US I think it was from California that the hydrogen station had a massive yeah. queue because there was a massive mm-hmm. demand for it and there has been a, been a yeah. shortage of it so you know until Australia is ready to and I know that like the guys at ChargeFox have been doing a great um, thing to really increase the their presence of their system and having seen how their system works it's really really quite good um, and, and very easy to use but until we see more of those pop up on a, on a much bigger scale um, and in probably more areas 
that allow you to to do it across bigger cities, particularly you know across Victoria here, New South Wales, and even up your way, actually mm-hmm. Queensland. You know, we can't expect the the market to increase because, you know, sure people still like to be able to do their longer drives of these things and they rely people like to be able to know that they have to worry about range anxiety and stuff like that you know they're so used to having petrol um how many of these people that have had these vehicles in the past uh are now going to look at wanting to be able to um switch to electric and not sure when they'll be able to fill up or whether they'll get the range they've been used yeah exactly and i think um you know it's interesting that you mentioned about the the hydrogen because uh, will will Hyundai and even BMW some of the, some of these car manufacturers who are a little bit further down the hydrogen infrastructure you know sort of um, technology path um, are they going to you know will they explore licensing that technology to 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 other car manufacturers that's to to drive that adoption and to drive that push from from that particular angle and um that's an interesting thing because until now you know hydrogen has been building that slow momentum but it's probably reaching a point now where if jlr going all electric by 2025 um how far are some of these brands, particularly these smaller ones, because let's face it, Jaguar Land Rover are not as large as um, Audi and the Volkswagen Group and Ford, etc. Um, what is their level of capability to invest in this technology compared to, to, to the other ones? So mm. is there a pathway for them to, to allow to build a hydrogen vehicle based off the other licensed technology which will help you know if there's more hydrogen vehicles on the road there's a there's a stronger push for that but again particularly here in australia that's where we rely on the you know on our regulatory pressure to do that so whether it's investing in hydrogen and charging networks and incentives to to purchases that's that's going to be the interesting part and and unfortunately we just don't have any real sign of where that's going to go here in oz at least um because as much as we look at the the global market it's um not necessarily uh when it comes to this sort of stuff, we tend to do it on our own and we don't really like to follow <laughs> what other people are doing. Yeah, correct. Um, but anyway, so let's move on. Let's talk to let's let's look at something that's completely the opposite to saving the planet. Um, we're talking about a W16 Bugatti Chiron, um, but it's a husband's gift to a wife. Apparently, her name is Alice, and um, it's a it's a pink and white model with uh with the design carried out all the way through um beautiful white interior with the white pink contrasting stitching um with the name emblazoned in the door sill and um you know sort of an anodized uh look on the on the alloy wheels as well and um whilst i probably wouldn't pick a, a pink and white uh color scheme i think this is kind of cool like this is surprisingly tastefully done for someone to go out and do this, you know, that's dedication. But to customise it um, through the dealer in the yeah. UK, it's uh, it's pretty impressive. And, and the amount of detail mm-hmm. as well, like there's, you know, almost every panel has some form of customisation through it and, and everything. But, um, yeah, look, it's, I don't know, it's an interesting colour choice. Um, it makes me sort of feel like that it's... Um, uh, 
Mary Kay cosmetics yeah, kind of true. colour sort yeah. of thing. Um, but yeah, look, you know, it's nice that someone's decided to go and spend the money for their partner and customise a Bugatti yeah. because, you know, it's uh, it's different to see it done that sort of style. Well, it's one way to spend a few million pounds, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah but so. um, yeah. Of of all the different combos that we've seen, particularly, I think um, you know, there's certainly some outlandish designs that have come out um all across the world. Um, this isn't this isn't the worst one by far, but certainly um, as a Valentine's gift, it, it's uh, it's hard to beat. So, I wouldn't share that article with uh, any significant others. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but getting close in terms of dollar value, well, not really close. It's still a long way off. But um, that record set by the HSV uh, GDSR one or W one Malu didn't last very long. So an immaculate 1971 Ford Falcon GDHO Phase Three smashed that record and, and sold for 1.15 million dollars. Um, so what a, what a remarkable result is is the is the used car market or the V8 Australian car market just absolute bonkers or does it justify this price? I think we call it the COVID yeah, tax. Okay. <laughs> do you, do you think this is a sustainable price? Do you think? Well, this gonna... is the second. This is the second phase three to make a yeah. million dollars in the last couple of years. So um, there's obviously a demand for people to you know to be able to want to buy these kind of things. Um, uh, you know, it, 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 there's that's a lot. It's a lot of money to um, to spend on these kind of cars. Previously, it's kind of been race cars that have that have have held that record. So there was a Phase Four GDHO that you know that raised two million, and then uh, XVH uh, VH Commodore or Peter Brock that made two million. So to see this kind of one point plus million for uh, for a GDHO road car is pretty impressive. Mm. So. Well, it does say this is apparently um, one of seven built. Oh, I just scrolled away from it. Uh, where is it? Yeah, seven examples produced. Electric blue with yeah. black trim. Um, and it won the yeah, GT so. Nationals in 1999 and 2003. So it has a little bit of a... A racing and it's history. been proven in the past that vehicles that have won past concourses or done very well on mm-hmm. concourses um, actually are the ones that actually do quite well at auction because they have that sort of um, pedigree yeah. heritage. Uh, the previous one that had done well for, for that uh, was the same sort of thing. So. Yeah, it's it's insane money and um, hopefully whoever has uh, bought it enjoys it and um, gets it. But I... Personally, probably wouldn't be looking to spend this stuff on a lot of money to spend yeah. on a car, considering for to, to one car that you're probably going to lose money on any time you drive it. You know, mm. there's so much more, so many other great cars out there you could spend and get for the value of you know, sort of a million. Do you dollars think it would lose money when it drives, is so it, or is it? Does it fit into that category of it doesn't matter how much you drive? I don't it, think you'd it, want to be driving yeah. it too much because you know it comes down to k's it's obviously a it's a show car it's a concourse car concourse cars generally aren't driven mm. too much because you know you need it to be pretty much clean yeah. throughout um you know it, it's a lot of effort to do that a lot of guys that have got them will probably trailer them to events and not mm. drive them so yeah I mean, i'd like to think that he probably would but um i don't really see it really happening. yeah so if you're um missed out on that auction and you're wanting to buy something else and uh, maybe you don't want to go all the way to a million dollars McLaren have revealed this week uh, the, the McLaren Artura 
It's a hybrid V6. It joins the supercar lineup and fits in between the McLaren GT and the current sort of flagship road car, the 720S. Its uh, unit produces 500 kilowatts, 720 newton meters of torque, and um, it replaces the outgoing 540, 570, you know, that range of, of cars. Um, and we expect the first ones to arrive in the third quarter of 2020. Uh, 21, I believe. So, yeah, this is... I think it's a pretty good-looking McLaren. It doesn't push the design boundary too far from what we've already seen in those sport series vehicles, but it's a nice evolution, and particularly I think it tidies up that back end um, a bit more, making it a a little bit bit more sleek, I think, for for what it is, what these sport series cars are. You look at it, it does look like it might have a slightly shorter nose on it. Uh, Nice alliance down the side. Rear end hasn't really changed, so you can kind of see that it that it's from the same family as that mm-hmm. sport series. I mean, that sport series that um, McLaren have done it just yeah. cars, you know, um, the size of them, uh, the sound, and everything else. Particularly, I'm a bit of a fan of the the 570 uh, GT, which had that lovely sort of glass cover over the back that you know you could access your uh, to get into where you golf bag and sat in that sat in those cars. But yeah, it's really cool to see McLaren moving into this hybrid feel i mean but but still staying with a twin turbo v6 yeah. so um you know being able to kick out 500 and 500 kilowatts and 720 newton meters of torque but being hybrid mm. so this is pretty exciting well it kind of brings that p1 you know the p1 was a hybrid um and we didn't really see a, another hybrid come through fully but it's gone from the top of the range to, Inter- to entry level yeah pretty so much that's that's really yeah cool. so zero to 100 is still in a in a rocket ship three seconds which is kind of the standard now for supercars um because any faster you start to fight with physics and that's not a fun fight to have um and it's also the brand's most fuel efficient vehicle so the claimed consumption is 5.5 liters per 100 kilometers when driving that's in like, hybrid mode that's really well, it's better than the i30 in the driveway car. right now so it's pretty yeah. good um it's a lot better than a lot of cars on the market you know that you would think that when you're talking about a twin turbo v6 and you talk about yeah. fuel economy it doesn't really seem that you know that uh they you mentioned them in the same, same exactly sequence. so you do have a it is a plug-in hybrid so you do have a um, a 7.4 kilowatt hour lithium iron battery pack, um, which if you're charging it from the wall, it takes two and a half hours to get to 80%. And it gives you about 30 kilometers of all electric driving and a maximum speed of 130. Or if you want to get all the way up to the top speed, which is limited to, uh, where did I see that? I think it's 300 Ks they had. Um Oh yeah, three limited. Yeah, three thirty. So zero to zero to three hundred is twenty one and a half seconds. Um, but yeah, so yeah, you have Apple CarPlay, Android Auto. So it kind of makes an argument that it could almost get away with it being your daily driver if you're wanting something like this and you need to, you know, you want to be fuel efficient, but you also want to have some fun on the weekend. That's what I kind of see this car making a deal for. Um, yeah, best of both worlds. Yeah, you just don't need the the back passengers. But I like it. I like this hero color too. It's like that. Um, it's like a Hulk green. I would like to call it. And um, yeah, yeah I, I like it a lot. Looks looks nice. Um, in terms of pricing, I didn't see. Ah, oh, there we go. Four hundred forty five thousand plus on road costs. So so up a little bit on. Um, 
So they're saying that it'll slot directly between the McLaren GT and the 720. Yep. So, okay, so it's not, you know, your full entry um, where, the, where the McLaren GT sits, but, you know, it's still reasonable for, for what, what it's yeah, going to Yeah, it's not much more than the McLaren GT. So the GT sits about 400,000. So it's not a huge jump up to, to get into it. So it really comes down to if you're wanting, um, depending on exactly what you want. And I, I don't know, I'd say with that hybrid, with the extra performance that you gain in the fuel economy, I think that's a really nice balance that's struck with that, that car. Yeah, very much so. Okay, the other one, we spoke about it last week, um, but it's now official. The GT3 from Porsche, 375 kilowatts of power, track-bred Porsche, uh, flat six that spins up to 9,000 RPM. You have the option of a manual box. Um, There's really not much else to be said. It's gorgeous looks great i love the the wing design off the back it looks super aggressive who knows what the gt3 rs is going to look like um because Mm. this is pretty much bonkers anyway so yeah and the lovely 992 design rear tail light across all the way across the back but really digging the um the air vents in the front the front bonnet as well they look really cool but very super sleek and and low down Mm -hmm. and and fast and there was some video that appeared during the week of it being tested um at the ring uh which was quite impressive that i saw as well yeah and so it's they've gone for the the staggered wheel size as well so in the front you've got 20 inch front wheels and larger 21 inch rims at the rear standard um brakes are steel and if you have you know if you're wanting to to be track day hero you can go carbon ceramic as well as an option even though the jury i think is not exactly sold on on carbon ceramics for most day to day use anyway. If you if you if this is purely a track day car, sure go for it. But um, if you're doing uh, track and road driving, still seems to be still the best mix of the of the two. Um, there isn't a turbocharged, so it is naturally aspirated. So this is probably what makes it unique against the 992 range of the 911s, um, as every other 992 is turbocharged. So if you are wanting that naturally aspirated 4-litre flat 6, this is the way to go for it, um, as well as if you're wanting to keep a manual. So if you're waiting out for an RS and you're wanting a manual, that is not going to happen. Porsche have come out and said that the RS models are going to be PDK only because of just the extra benefits you get out of it. But if you're wanting that pure... Yeah, so much faster. If you want that pure driving experience, um, particularly for you know your weekend worry and that sort of thing, the six-speed manual in the GT3 is probably the one that you want to go for. But I love it. Looks gorgeous, yeah. particularly in the Sierra yeah. color. Sounds amazing yeah. as well. If you check out that... Um, it, you just search uh, on YouTube the new 911 GT3 on board at the Nordschleife. Actually, I think that's the first time I'm able to pronounce that properly. Um, it's yeah, it's just pure heaven. It's just pure uh, on board, um, and just the noise is just you know. If you're a Porsche fan, you got to watch it. It's just brilliant. Mm, and they've um, so in terms of timing, uh, 6:59, 9:27 for the lap. It's 17 seconds faster than the previous 911 GT3. But they uh, suspect just, um, to be that much quicker. It's just, mm. it's just mind-blowing. And they are saying that the, you know that's attributed to the optional uh, Michelin Pilot Sport Cup two R tires. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a mouthful. Um, but I wouldn't say that that's the whole seventeen seconds. It might give you a few seconds, but not seventeen. Surely, uh, either way, it's the generation yeah. involvement of you know 
handling suspension yeah. engine development. I'm sure it won't be too uh, long before someone with a previous generation GT3 will throw a set of those tires on and yeah. and compare it anyway. <laughs> so it's it's the it's yeah. Nurburgring. Don't you know? It's only a matter of time until someone will go. Well, let's do a true comparison. But if on this that. is what we're getting out of the GT3, Ash. Like you said, what's the oh, exactly? Like? Yeah. And even GT4 RS, um, we've, we've seen that floating mm-hmm. around. And, um, yeah, so if this is the technology which they're putting in, it's saved another a few kilos as well compared to the other one, so it is lighter again. Yeah, this is um, yeah really exciting, lovely thing to see. And, yeah, and the next generation sort of Carrera Cup car was also unveiled as mm-hmm. well, and they just look sensational as well. It's so good, and there was a bunch of them, some photos that appeared online during the week, and just a whole bunch of them together, and they look just so cool as all being just raw, you know, raw, no stickers and anything on them, and they just look absolutely brilliant. So um, you can just really see the bodywork and the lines on these things. They're just so yeah. impressive. All right, so Formula One. Drive to Survive, we finally have a premiere date. So season three premieres on March 19 on Netflix. And um, as I said to a few other people this week, I actually need to watch season one. And yeah. two. I'm uh, <laughs> guilty of not watching the first yeah. one. So yeah, but that new season premiere looks yeah, pretty cool. And particularly for last year, it was a crazy year with, um, with COVID impacting the entire season. We got a whole bunch of drama that came out of it new tracks no tracks um we had some pretty significant um incidences as well obviously if you're thinking about of uh, roman grosjean um and even it kind of over overshone even lance stroll's crash at um what was it Mugello, um where he had that massive impact in the mid corner so or was it monza i can't remember i think it was one of those two it was Italy. Anyway, um, so I think the the drama that will come out of it, I think, is going to be really interesting to see and, and how these teams on the inside and the drivers in particular, um, you know, responded to. And obviously Netflix is going to add their, their drama on top of that. But it's kind of the this is the behind the scenes that we kind of get a, at least a glimpse of, of what went went on and so i think that's going to be really exciting and um yeah you can catch that on march 19 uh when that premieres so it's a uh, just over a week before the first opening uh round in bahrain i'm a jello i think you're uh yeah okay yeah where you went yeah into the wall? yeah bit scary yeah. mid mid corner crash car just yeah. went out from yeah. yeah so moving on so this is um one way to get rid of all the memories of your ex of a bad breakup um sebastian vettel he's got quite a set of road cars ferrari road cars and um mercedes vehicles that he's selling um so yeah this is he's doing a bit of a Bit of a clear out, a bit of a spring clean. It's a serious spring yeah, clean. Yeah, so got things from the, you know, Ferrari La Ferrari, Ferrari Enzo, um, the TDF, uh, SLS Mercedes, Black Series SL55. Um, yeah, it's one way to clear out all your everything. I don't know. It's a. The only one worth purchasing is the F50, you reckon? I reckon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, look, the SL65 Black Series is nice, but. You know, personally, I'd have to have the F50. Oh, the Z8's nice. But, yeah, I think the F50 is just because it's just so unique. Yeah, I like the uh, the BMW with the hardtop as well. They, they're becoming quite collectible. They, they, um, they dropped off um, 
pricing not too long ago and then all of a sudden people realised that they liked the car and so prices have shot through the roof. But <laughs> look, if Vettel was in Australia and he was selling these cars, he probably would have no trouble at all given the pricing that we're seeing at auction at the moment um, <laughs> and I assume probably there won't be any trouble either with, uh, with the history of which these cars obviously been owned by a four-time world champion and um, particularly that TDF which has got his branding put into the seats as well I think um, these are pretty pretty special cars um, and it's almost a, almost a shame that he's, that he's uh, moving on from them but you know he's got He's with Aston Martin this year, and he's taken up the purchasing stake in that. Um, so I guess, yeah. Maybe he's going to up it again. <laughs> Who knows? He's, he's probably going to add a Valkyrie, off. that's for sure. Yeah. All right. So Haas, they're facing an uphill PR battle. So this week, in the, you know, it's the first time in a long time. Uphill's an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> they um they posted a few photos of um. Mazepin, Nikita Mazepin, one of the drivers joining Haas this year, um, a, a rookie starting next to Mick Schumacher, and um, has had unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, he's brought on himself um, quite the uh, I don't know, it's it, atrocious behaviour outside, and um, yeah, the the response from people online has not been positive um you could say basically the word no and we say no to maze pen and um yeah the the response has been quite overwhelmingly negative from those on social media and um i think it's justified i think um i, f- I feel for the social media team that has to to manage the content um but yeah i guess it's it, Haas has, has walked into this one knowing what he uh, what he's been alleged of doing, um, you know, when he's posted videos of himself groping a female in the back of a car, as well as driving um, irresponsibly with other people in the vehicle on public roads, it's a it's a it's not just one incident. There's been multiple instances, and um, it's understood why fans might be angry at his behaviour and um, not taking on his, uh, you know, the team sharing his progress in the as he gets ready for the season. It's not just an image problem for, for the team, it's an image problem for F1. Mm-hmm. F1 exactly. really don't need this kind of coverage to with this. So, you know, it, it, it's not helping the sport that is trying to do so much, and it did do so much in terms of, you know, um, Black Lives Matter and, you know, everything else that they did last year with trying to, trying to really send the right message to then, you know, having to deal with, the, the backlash from this just can't be helpful for the sport. Mm. So I think the the really telling thing will be how the media respond when we, you know, once the season starts and once the interviews start happening and, and obviously how he carries himself throughout the season. He's got a lot to prove this season to, to justify remaining in the sport um, to, you know, to fans of the sport, as well as the sponsors, the team, and the campaign that We Races won, um, you know, stands for what Formula One has been pushing. So this is, you know, there's a lot of pressure on a lot of people to to justify him staying. And, um, you know, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think the public should necessarily decide that, but also I think, that, you know, the, t- the, the team and the person needs to take uh, responsibility as well. 
Yeah, the questions he gets at the first round are going to be very yeah. interesting to watch in a lot of the interviews and whether or not, you know, you know, as a TV network, do you take a stand and, you know, do you do your or do you do your job and, and get in there and, and, you know, ask the ask the hard questions yeah. and really see what he has to say. So, yeah, I think, but like you said, Ash, he really has to prove himself on track yeah. this year. And that still isn't going to excuse what has already occurred. That's, you know, no. we, can't, we can't forget that. You know, it's it doesn't matter if you're a uh, a rookie in the sport or a seven time all time champion. If you're if you're going to, um, if you if you act that act that way, I, I'd expect the response to be the same for regardless of of who it is. Um, but let's move on to something a little bit more positive. Um, Albert Park, you were there today, and um, a few modica- modifications have happened. Um, what can what can you share? So yeah, uh, I heard this. The news came out during the week. The guys at Speed Cafe um, were talking about it, and this they've actually published up uh, the, the actual details of what work's being done around the track. So there's a fair bit being done um, between between sort of the start of April into May. They have started a little bit of work already. Um, we did uh, a couple of laps on the on the push bike today, just uh, just did a bit of exercise. But uh, it was interesting going down. Um, the main straight they've already done widening of the pit lane mm-hmm. uh is new asphalt through that area um but then they're due to start uh the end of this month in uh through till sort of june july working uh on the last couple of corners uh and then also they're about to start um the changes that will be through um uh nine and ten uh through the chicane there so um, that chicane will virtually sort of cease to cease to exist uh, on the track, and it'll be a more of a straight through drive for um, for the thing. But there's also going to be some changes with camber uh, and widening of corners as well. And, and actually, drive, riding through it today, it was uh, very interesting. Actually, you know, normally you drive through in a car and you don't really yeah. notice a lot. You don't, you know, you're probably driving. It's harder to see, but being on a push bike, it was much easier, particularly to see through um, through certain corners where the actual camber yeah. is, um, and to really get a feel of, of how it sits on the track. Um, it was really, really quite interesting. Um, one of the last the last corners that um, uh, before you come onto the onto the main straight, um, I found quite fascinating. So coming through. Um, through Prost uh, at 15, just the camber through there is actually quite interesting. It actually does run sort of a little bit uphill. So part of the camber changes is going to be quite interesting. So uh, the mate that I went riding with today, him and I both said that we probably will try and get back every couple of weeks and just trying to, if we can, depending on what restrictions with road closures mm. and that that they do, because they are they are saying that a fair bit of the circuit will be closed um, for, for vehicle access, but whether we can sneak past on a bike, it'll be uh, yet to be seen. Yeah. But um, we're going to try and have a look. But just to see what's, what's changing and where they're going to change this camber, um, so yeah, they're they're going to be doing a fair bit. So yeah, the the map is um is interesting to see just a lot of it that is going to be changed. Yeah. So for the next sort of six months, um they're going to be fairly busy and stuff. So it should then make it very very interesting, um, for the drivers, um when they get there at the end of the year, just to see how much has been changed. Yeah, so. and and given that you know they they were saying that some of this asphalt has actually been down there since 1995. So think of all the different drivers. And you can see it like riding through it today. It was interesting, and it, it does definitely need a resurface, mm. and that's going to really change it. But the riding partner I was with today, he was saying to me, 
he said he think it'll probably lose some of its, um, you know, some of the benefits of it because it'll be too smooth and so you won't have that real street circuit feel yeah. of it being a little bit bumpy and um, in the abrasiveness of it because of being older. But particularly down the, um, the main straight, it is really quite rough and quite... Um, you know, peppered and, and cracked in certain in certain spots with different lines and things mm. in it. So um, it certainly makes it interesting to to look at what it's going to do. I think the resurfacing is going to be absolutely brilliant. It's going to really make it yeah. um, interesting. So I think this year will be really great to watch with the changes they're going to make. But then when after they redo the asphalt at the end of this year's event, in coming into next year's event, I think it's going to be absolutely mm. fascinating just to see how much it changes the track and, and what the drivers think at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, and I'm glad that they're not changing, uh, I think it's turn 11 and 12, that really um, fast section that just is great to watch on TV. Um, so I'm glad they're yeah, not really well, changing that. Now, with the changes at 9 and 10, and 9 and 10 effectively becoming... One. Um, that becoming that straighter that straighter part um it's going to be super yeah. quick so we rode in track direction today so coming out of um out of six um and then coming through into seven and then you know you, you get into that stretch from uh, as you sort of enter eight it's going to be super fast coming out of there all the way through to 13 yeah. before they break really hard for that right hander so um i think it's going to be really really interesting to, to watch to to see because that you know whether they're going to then change the sectors as well because sector one finishes um, uh, finishes around six and seven and then runs through to eleven so it'll be interesting to see um, what you know whether they extend that maybe a little bit further into to maybe twelve where there's a bit more of a kink. Um, yeah, I think there's there's a lot to, to take from it. It'll be very, very interesting to to watch, uh, to see what it looks like and, and how it feels after after all the, all the work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, And uh, but we've got a few more races. We've got a lot, a lot of races to get through before we start to see that. Um, but let's move on to supercars. So it looks like um, the opening season race for uh, supercars is going to be a bit of a wet one potentially which could make things yeah, quite, ex- quite, quite exciting on, on Friday and Saturday yeah. maybe not as much for Sunday but we still have a race on mm. Saturday so that's going to be very interesting to watch so I'm quite excited to see um, if we get some rain just to, to mix it up um, and we know what it's like at Bathurst it can be raining down the top down the bottom but dry at the top and vice versa so it could make for some very very interesting racing for not a, normally we see it as an enduro but for an opening round um, and multiple races yeah. as well yeah I think it's uh, uh, this is this this could be a season that brings me back as a as a full-time watcher I'm usually the person who drops in then and now not necessarily always closely following every single race but i think um with the tweaks and the ch- slight changes in the calendar could could really um yeah bring me back and and watch with some interest particularly when we start to you know see how with teams coming back to bathurst a couple times um seeing what they learn and how they develop the car sure it's slightly different race formats but um the lessons they can learn out of visiting yeah, before, the track before hitting it up yeah the exactly I think that's going to be really interesting um, but next up we've got some aero tweaks for the Commodores in the field um, which is a bit of an interesting thing um, but is there any indication of sort of why um, supercars have given 
these changes? I think it's they're obviously believe that there, there needs to be a, a slight tweak. Um, they're always looking at you know developing and, and changing the vehicles to for parity and mm. stuff like that. So I think it could um, be um, could it be reliability related, given that there was quite a few damper failures last season. Is that something that I think um, some of the chatter is coming out of just adjusting the parity, but also helping with the reliability of the Commodores, which and is... And also to, to reduce a bit of overheating yeah. as well. So. Which could be interesting, and I wonder if it's going to have a, a major effect on that, or if the, the teams that are still running um, Commodores are able to, to take advantage of that little tweak, because obviously it's it's kind of like if one, if you, if you allow one change it could slightly open the door for a lot of other innovation you know tiny little innovations to sneak in there um you know with that with that slight design change so it'd be interesting to see if the particularly at this point in time um if there's any changes or tweaks that uh yeah those teams triple eight for example will be able to to take advantage of yeah it'll be interesting to see and, and what it and what it leads to as yeah. well and hopefully they they fix um you know, they won't have the problems they've seen as in the past. Yeah. Okay. All right. Some local news now. So the MGHS FEV um, is due in March. So we've spoken about the uh, the ZS EV, um, but this is the plug-in and it's due to arrive next month and they're haven't said about the pricing but um but we do expect the pricing to be quite sharp and um yeah this is probably gonna be an interesting uh you know uh, approach to an affordable plug-in hybrid um, that we haven't quite seen here in Oz yet. Yeah, so it's interesting that they, um, for where it's going to sit um, in terms of pricing and stuff like that, but it comes 12 months after the HS launch. Um, so it's cool that they're going down, like you know, we've already talked about the um, the EV, mm-hmm. but to go down a, a FEV route, I think that's, uh, that's pretty exciting for the brand. Yeah, so... We don't have full local price and we don't have specs yet, but I think the idea, I, this is what we kind of need, isn't it? We we don't have these mm. sorts of things available. We've got the, probably the Mitsubishi um, FEV is one that comes to mind, which is slightly larger anyway. Um, but what do you think? What, what price point do you think this would have to hit to really make a massive impact? I don't know. I think it's going to sit. It's going to sit below. It'll sit below the EV. Won't oh, it? surely it has to. I would think so. Anyway, um, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a tough spot. We, it is going to be announced next mm-hmm. month, so we will keep an eye on it and we'll Say talk about 35, it. between thirty five to yeah. I think if it's so. if it, I think if it hits that, it could could do quite well. There have been some um, details come out. So zero to one hundred and six point nine seconds, top speed of two hundred and forty, and um, a fuel economy of one point seven liters per one hundred. So yeah, this is gonna be really interesting to see. Um it is a one point five liter four cylinder turbo and um but yeah matched with a ninety kilowatt electric motor. So yeah this this could be a really interesting thing and you know something to go up against say even the uh the RAV four, the their hybrid. That now that's not a plug in hybrid, but you know, this is the the step forwards. Yeah, yeah. well I think it's uh, it's going to be interesting to to mix up the market as well. Yeah. So Honda have um, revealed the the new HRV, and um, they're saying that it will be having a hybrid version coming, um, and we're expecting it to arrive in the next twelve months. So I'm kind of liking this uh, design. It reminds me a little bit of the Ford Mac E. What do you think? 
Uh, yeah, I think it's um, it's it's def- very different design. Yeah, it it's is. very sort of polarizing, I think, with the design of it. But this is really exciting for the brand to to be coming with this model to to market because I think it's got real potential for them. And it's it's again, it's mixing up this SUV market, um, being have be able to have these EVs um, that are co- that are coming in. Uh, Oh, sorry. This this smaller SUV market, I think, is just getting is getting stronger, um, and the HRV is just you know I think it's it's really going to be really strong for Honda because I know that we, we know Honda are going through changes with changing the mm-hmm. dealership model yeah. and everything as well. But you know the fact they're going to have something that is going to be new and and very different in that respect, I think it's uh, it's quite good for for the mm. brand to, to be generating this kind of excitement. With a, with a new yeah, so looking at the comments um, on the on the article that we've got linked in our show notes, it is interesting. It is, like you said, very polarizing. Um, some people love it, some people hate it, and um, and I can see why. Like like you mentioned, there is a few things that probably aren't to to people's taste. But then again, this is Honda. I, I don't know what you you know most people really expect because Honda does usually do a solid product, but not. They don't. They don't follow the typical design that everybody else is doing. They, they like to do their own interpretation of that. Sometimes they do. You know, they have a massive hit. Sometimes it's a bit of a miss. Um, but this is, I think, a step in the right direction for Honda. And um, it would be great to even see not just a, a hybrid, but an EV version of it as well. Given that we're expecting to see similar versions come out from other, you know, other competitors. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, there's nothing, it's not like some of the other vehicles we've seen come out, which are just horrendously ugly. I think this is, um, you know, the only thing I would probably change is just the alloy wheels from the exterior. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think the front, the front's a little bit different. Okay. I'm not sure I, I'm a massive fan compared to the outgoing yeah. models. It's probably why they, don't, um, they haven't shown a full-on frontal uh, footage yeah. of it yet. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, we'll wait and see exactly what models we're going to get. It is still a little bit away. You know, they are saying, um, you know, by showrooms in February, 2022. So we've got a bit of time to warm up to the look and, uh, into the features of what's expected to, to come out. But I think, um, yeah, Honda's going through a bit of a transition at the moment and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what it yields when we get closer. So stepping away from hybrids we've got the subaru brz and um their new you know the updated model of the of the brz and the toyota 86 and um yeah we're expecting it to arrive in the second half of 2021 um but apparently yeah this is exciting for the for the brand yeah but they're also saying an sti version is not in the scope for now uh which is a little bit of a disappointment i'm sure a few people uh probably would have loved to have seen an sti model of this but i'm kind of liking the the new look it took a little while for me to warm up to it but um i'm i'm liking it more and more the more each time i i load up an article and see some photos yeah, I think it's um it's good that the excitement is obviously building around this and and I can't wait to see these hit them hit the market here. Uh, but I think it'll be interesting to see. I think there's a fairly big tuna market for these, so I think uh, it won't be shy for for people that that don't you know if they don't come out with an STI version, I think it'll still be interest, but I reckon there'll be I think the used market for the previous ones will probably spring up because there'll be a lot of guys trading their um 
their previous Gen 1s in for yeah. the new ones. And so in terms of performance, 152 kilowatts, 252 newt meters um, under the hood out of that boxer engine. Um, or you do get slightly less power, interestingly, with the um, with the automatic. And um, But yes, it's using a new FA24 series 2.4 liter engine. And um, yeah, so this is... This is interesting. Um, yeah. I don't know. I still think there needs to be a, tu- a turbo version. That's all I need to say. Yeah, I think, yeah poss- possibly. Yeah. Who knows what they might do in a, in a future generation, yeah. but we thought maybe it might happen with this one. But I think yeah, the expectation not, uh, was we were waiting for this to be the you know, the turbo version that Toyota and Subaru never delivered. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll wait any ever longer. But Subaru... Uh, keeping on that that track have confirmed that there is a, a a new wrx in the works and it will arrive locally later this year with an hotted up sti version expected to follow about 12 months later which will definitely be a turbo um there's not much to see in these spy shots that have have made their way online um but as always i think the the last wrx was was received quite well and um yeah i'm I'm looking forward to, to seeing what this new design will, will look at and um, particularly with the, the rumour that there is a Lavorg, uh STI version coming as well. I think that's uh, be quite exciting. But the only thing that scares me is a, a CVT Auto might also continue, which just doesn't seem <laughs> to... You know, CVT does not fit in my mind for a, a, a pseudo sports car of its kind. No, exactly. So, But the fact that it's been confirmed for Australia, I think is probably the most exciting yeah. part knowing that it, that is coming here um, and you know the fact that what form it will take you know looking at those designs there seems to be a bit of a, a sharper front end and um, particularly probably a little bit nicer sharper rear end so uh, that should be very interesting to, to see when when that finally is unveiled. do you think uh, do you think it's important that Subaru kind of reinvigorate some of the WRX and STI excitement they had probably about it's probably gone back about 20 years now um, with the brand possibly given, I given think, Hyundai you know, the brand, the- and Toyota are really encroaching on what the WRX was all about um, do you think it's important that they they strive to sort of nail that that brief for today given that these are all you know WRC inspired vehicles yeah, look, I think it's important. There was a rumor that the next generation might go back to, to rallying overseas yeah. in WRC. But, you know, I, I think the brand, unfortunately, is there's not a lot that it's involved in motorsport anymore. And that was its core for so long when it first was first first released. So uh, it would nice to be nice to see the brand get back involved in some form of motorsport uh, to, to for this in this next generation. Yeah. But... Um, I still think it's one of those performance vehicles that the fans will buy. You know, the all-wheel drive. You know, the boxer engine um, noise. It's just, it's just so unique at the end of the day. So, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I don't know. We'll we'll look forward to seeing it as more details come through and as that um, that camo slowly gets peeled away um, from those spy photos. I think that that will be the th- exciting thing to to keep an eye on. Um, but one which we've sort of been talking about for a little while and we've been expecting an update is the new Mitsubishi Outlander. So it's going to be it's been revealed but it's going to be arriving in Australia late 2021 and um, man this seems like the much needed update that Mitsubishi sort of 
Oh my god, this oh. has got to be the best Mitsubishi model look, looking model in in like every year they they've been updating models and they get better and better. But oh my god, the difference between the current Outlander and this one, this thing oh. is so sexy. And I'm such a huge it's fan just, of this I interior. I love the lines. This interior, yeah. massive step well, forwards too. Yeah, the just the whole um, the layout of the design of that front end. It's got that corporate front end look now that we've seen updated on the ASX and the Eclipse Cross, and then obviously Pajero Sport. Um, yeah, this is fantastic. I mean, if they hadn't killed the Pajero, yeah, this true. Looked absolutely brilliant yeah. on that. Um, but I think I really think with what they've done with Outlanders and stuff in the past, I think this could be a really strong seller all of a sudden for for Mitsubishi because of the looks on it. It's got such a yeah. good look. Um, I think they've taken a little bit of American design <laughs> Again, uh, yeah. into it, like we're seeing in, in current things like Carnival and um, uh, and some of the Kia range. Yeah. But, you know, this just looks so good. Um, and you're right, the interior is uh, is a real step up as well. Yeah, uh, I'm in love with it. And um, so depending on the trim level, you get to, to have either a 12.3-inch digital instrument display with custom, you know, customizable views and all that kind of thing, um, or your traditional instrument cluster you have. Um, uh, I don't know. It's really hard to describe it. It's particularly with the colors that they've shown. I think it's a, it's actually a really nice spec, which they've displayed. So it's a white exterior, nice big yellow wheels. Um, but then on the inside, it's a black interior with orange highlights. So think of your trim pieces in orange. Um, you've got some, uh, it's probably going to be plastic, but sort of aluminum looking um, trim surrounds the gear selector and the gear knobs and on the steering wheel. It looks tidy. It looks so good. And um, it you if you showed me that photo, I would not be able to tell you it was an Outlander based on the outgoing generation. It's it's such a drastic step forwards. Um, it's unrecognizable. You've got um, seat heaters, three-zone automatic climate control, rear window sunshades are also available. Um, yeah, so... This is cool. This is exactly what I think Mitsubishi needed to do with the Outlander, particularly when the out you know the Outlander right now is what is it? It came out in twenty twelve ish, so it's old. It is an old car on the bottom, and um, yeah, imagine this in hybrid form as well, and as a, as a fev, this would be fantastic. Yeah, and I think it's going to do really really well once that once it lands here. Yeah, really. Yeah, this is. From from what we've seen, obviously we'll have to wait and drive um, to know. So we'll we'll be waiting for that to to happen. But um, but yeah, look exciting coming at the end of the year. So Skoda. 2021 Octavia, price and specs. We've got a new sedan and a wagon. Um, price increase, unfortunately. So the price rises up about $3,000, but you do gain a bit more tech for your money as well as some tweaked engines. Not sure on the styling myself. It, it's not quite as, yeah, it doesn't share the, I don't know. It looks a bit tamer. If you can say that, I don't know if that's a word. I'm but, not sure about the grill. Yeah. I'm not the grill's not a bit dopey not, or something. Not, yeah, I've seen a new Scala, and I don't mind yeah. those, but this just has a slightly different tweak um, on that on that grill. The sedan in, in the images looks a little bit different. I don't mind that as well. Yeah, I think, I think the sedan the looks the better. Falling on it's the a little bit two series BMW two series like in the sedan version. Yeah, a little bit, but it, I mean that's not a bad no. thing because that's a great looking yeah. car. So um, I think it's you know it's good, and and the wagon. 
Um, the Octavia wagon from that slightly more side-on mm. angle does look really good as well. Again, so, I'm loving the um, interior. You know, <laughs> again, nice yes. big digital display. The Skoda have done yeah, great interiors for have. years, so um, they're very, very uh, good. And particularly when you look at you know, you look at an RS interior, um, it's it's just stunning. But uh, yeah, I don't mind the rear end as well. It's got a little bit of Audi about it. Very um, Audi sort of A3 about the the rear end in, in certain in certain respects. So. Um, you know, pricing-wise, you started around about thirty grand and go through to fifty for the RS wagon, um, and you know you can get a, an ambi- ambition wagon with a one ten TSI for thirty-one grand. Mm. So that's uh, that's pretty good value. Yeah, so it steps all the way up. So you've got um, yeah, so thirty-two grand for the wagon, and um, yeah, so it is a bit, a little bit of a significant price increase, three thousand twenty-two hundred over the outgoing models, um, but. Volkswagen or sorry, Skoda are saying um, it it does pack an additional six you know about six thousand dollars worth of equipment. Um, but your standard equipment is pretty packed. So you've got bi LED headlights, LED tail lights with scrolling indicators, um, a ten inch Bolero infotainment touchscreen with wireless Apple CarPlay, wireless Android Auto, and Bluetooth. Um, the virtual cockpit as as standard, which is great. Rear parking sensors, eight speaker sound system, and a flat bottom three spoke leather steering wheel, which looks good, and um, cloth seats, which. In these sorts of cars, I don't actually mind the cloth seats. It, it actually makes it... They tend to be a little bit more comfortable over longer journeys and um, not as hot, um, particularly here in Queensland when it comes to jumping in the car when the car's been sitting outside for about five minutes. Um, but yeah, so fairly well specced. Um, there's also paddle shifters, ambient interior lighting, push-button start, power-operated tailgate, um, an actual parking brake, power-adjustable mirrors, two USB-C ports, privacy glass, rain tape and wipers, yada, yada. Yada yada. So, yeah, um, this fits in quite well. It's still got some good um, boot space as well. Six hundred liters in the back for the sedan, and six hundred and forty in the wagon. And um, yeah, so this looks pretty good. I'm liking it. Um, it's just I probably have to warm up to that front nose. That's all um, for it. That's just the key thing. Um, but yeah, so. And I don't know why if uh, you probably don't need to really go for the tech pack because most of the tech stuff that you want because the tech pack for $3,200 adds your adaptive dampers, tri-zone climate control and a heads-up display and um, a premium sound system from Canton. So I don't know. That's probably one of those ones where I'd for the first time I'd probably go, don't worry about the, the tech pack because most of the tech that you want is already included, including the virtual cockpit. Um, yeah, which is the, the virtual cockpit is one of the main things that you actually want. Yeah, and, and meanwhile, you do have a, a $5,800 luxury pack, which is probably the one to to really be the one to narrow down and work out if you need it or not. Um, so it adds your leather upholstery, power adjustable heated front seats with memory, heated rear seats, tri-zone climate control, blind spot monitoring, rear cross traffic alert, lane centering assist, emergency assist and traffic jam assist. Um, yeah, so... I don't know, some of those safety things I would have expected as standard, particularly in a $30,000 car. Um, but, yeah, it's what I'll probably expect is that most of these cars that are arriving to dealers will probably have the luxury pack mostly as standard, I would imagine. Um, usually when dealers spec cars, they spec them to what most people have. And, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that box is ticked most of the time. Yeah, there'd be a few on the dealership lot, you would think, with those ticks, so you can obviously see what it's like. Yeah. And then you do have the Octavia RS, um, which is priced from 47 
790 plus your on-roads. And it is also available in the wagon, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, so they're saying, unfortunately, most of the old model standard equipment has been moved into the optional package on the new car. Um, but I think... Uh, I don't know, you'd probably find a way to negotiate that into a, a driveway price anyway if you walked into a dealer to, to buy one of these. Usually that's how it rolls anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm liking this. I'm liking the seats um, in the in the RS. I think they look quite cool. They look quite comfortable as well um, over a longer, more spirited drive, I'd imagine. But okay, Kashkai. This is another car that we've sort of been saying has been needing a, a revamp in a little while. And um, I gotta say, this kind of looks like a concept car. It's very clean. There's nothing, um, there's really no sharp lines with the exception for that front grille. But everything else is really rounded out, really smoothed out. And um, yeah, it looks, almost looks like it's straight out of a, a concept car look but mm. um it does it's if taken it, and we're seeing more of that these days than ever that we're now seeing that vehicles are getting closer to the original concept yeah. and that design because yeah that is um yeah we've seen that I and mean, we the, the pathfinder when it was released recently was again another one of those that has that really lovely look to it but this is also very much like the um the x-trail I find with the Lodi's no, interior. Yeah, look, the, the, the new X Trail, it's got very similar, but it's also the. Um, it's got that family look to it now. We're seeing that more aggressive front yeah. end, um, you know, coming across more and more of the uh, the models. But yeah, this is great to see for the cash guy. I think this will be uh, another winner for Nissan um, down under. Yeah, I think um, I, if if you remember what the Nissan Murano looked like, which is really the car that kicked off this this design language which Nissan have been using for quite a while now and have modernized slowly um, yeah I think this looks looks great you can do a two-tone roof as well so out of the 11 colors you can do um, a black roof or a, a gunmetal roof on black cars and um, yeah if you've if you've seen photos of what the new X-Trail uh, or the Nissan Rogue over in the US um, have you know those teasers it's very similar here on the Qashqai full digital display um Lots of premium-looking appointments. That center stack looks very much like what you'd find in a BMW X1 or an X2. And, um, yeah, I think it's a one of these steps that Nissan have needed to take as well, just like Mitsubishi with the Outlander, to really modernize and, and probably revitalize a lot of the sales which they've been missing out on. Um, and, and, you know, Hyundai and the likes have been stealing because of... The cars have felt just that little bit behind, and um, now they've they've come out with, on paper at least, um, looks quite quite good. So Ford, uh, we've got a, you know, this I don't know, it's I I'm denied about whether we should include this or not, but I think um, there's enough tradies getting around and enough Rangers sold that, you know, this is worth including. And um, this is our limited edition Ford Ranger tradie. Um, it's a it's a special model that's um, basically combining with the XL 4x4 dual cab that's aimed at tradies. Uh, it looks like it's got a nudge bar, LED light on the front. Um, you've got um, 
black alloy wheels, black side steps, bed liner, and a tow bar. And um, you've got some basic color options available. So it seems to be just a very tastefully done with the core essentials that um, most people probably need, including that protective metal um, bar across the, the rear tray from the rear window. And um, yeah, I think this is a, a fairly standard, decent option if you're buying it for a particular use. Oh, again, it's those. It's the brand thinking, um, thinking in advance and looking at their market. And this is a great idea. It, it it makes sense for the market. People are buying. Tradies are buying these for a reason, and you know they're they're catering to the market. So it's a smart. Yeah, move. and you do have your high and low range gear ratios, um, eight hundred millimeter weighting. Sync 3 Infotainment, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, 15,000 kilometer 12 month servicing intervals, and a five year unlimited kilometer warranty and a five stars ANCAP safety rating. So, you know, that's that's not bad at all. And um, in terms of pricing, um, the dual cab pickup at 48,990 plus on roads as a manual, and um, the XL Trady is priced at uh, 47,990 with the automatic transmission as standard. So, yeah, it's only. It is a limited run, so it's only available until it's sold out. And um, yeah, all of those things are aimed at factory fitted for commercial vehicle buyers. So yeah, this is a yeah, this is probably also them toying with whether they should continue with doing something like this. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did bring back another version, uh, but open to a wider range of customers. Yeah, it uh, makes sense for, for you know for the buyers yeah so okay um, before we go into a couple of international pieces uh, how do we go and bring a trailer this week so looking at the results from last week your Jeep Scrambler uh, sold for 28500 mm-hmm. um, and that's not bad money your, at all for that yeah it's not bad money <laughs> at all and then your Dodge Ram SRT10 commemorative edition yeah sold for 65000 wow um, and then, so I had the Testarossa last week, which was 153,000 winning bid, which is you know probably not bad money for that, um, considering how much they sell for here in Oz. Yeah. Uh, and then the Dodge Charger RTU conversion was pa- passed in, reserved, not met, mm. but it got to 17,500. Yeah, oh, that's pretty interesting money. That's sort of all around, isn't it? The and yeah, yeah, that. It sort of, I, I said it last week with that, um, <laughs> with that Ram. It is a special vehicle, and it's just still, you know, for two thousand five. Yeah, it's got low miles at twelve thousand, but it's still a chunk of change for that car. Sixty five thousand US dollars. That's a ton of money for that, particularly yeah, for what you can buy for even thirty thousand dollars in the pickup truck world over in the US. Yeah, correct. Uh, so, what did you find uh, this week? Anything uh, special? So, this week, yeah, there was, you know, again, there's always interesting stuff, but the standout for me was a Safari style 2007 Porsche 911. Oh, variant. yes. Um, so, someone has gone all out and given a um, Carrera S um, a fairly serious makeover, lifted kit, bull bar. Um, super off, off-road wheels on different tyres, a massive light pod on the bonnet, and then obviously a roof rack with a spare tyre. Yeah. So um, pretty impressive stuff. So um, it was actually bought off Bring a Trailer in, in June 2018 yeah, right. um, as a standard road car. Um, it sold for thirty-seven grand back in 2018. Um 
and it's now current bid at 88,000 and it's got six days left. So um, it's a pretty cool looking thing. Um, gotta love it. It's got full racing uh, seats and harnesses and everything in it. I but, love um, this kind of stuff yeah. that people do. It's, it comes back to the yeah. to the to, to the KN as well um, from a couple yeah. of weeks ago, and uh, yeah, oh, this is so cool and. And this guy uses it. The photos in the actual ad are him driving it off-road yeah. on dirt roads and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's pretty impressive what he's uh, what he's done with it. And, uh, yeah, it's it's it's, bu- it's been built to be yeah. driven. Um, and, and it's and, part yeah, of the DNA of Porsche, setup, isn't it? Like the, the Safari vehicles are, are very much... Well, it goes back to the 959 that did that yeah. No, I love it, and these photos are great. These are these are legendary photos. We'll um, I'll throw the link up for that one. It's it's worth checking out. And I might even just save a few photos for some wallpapers. <laughs> that good. I love it. I love seeing this stuff. Yeah. Well, what did you uh, find? So it comes back to um, I, I was watching. I'm, I'm I'm currently going through all of the James Bond films. I started at the very first one and working on my way through. And this week, um, I was watching The World Is Not Enough, and um, that was released in 1999 and um, that featured the BMW Z8. And just so happened that um, Bring a Trailer also has a BMW Z8 online. This one's slightly different colour. This is in, um, I believe it's uh, bright red. So I think normally these days that colour is actually Melbourne red. And um, it's probably not my ideal combo with a cream interior. Um, but yeah, this is cool. So it's got... You know, it's a 4.9 litre V8 out of the E39 M5. It's a six-speed manual transmission. It's got a d- detachable hardtop. Um, yeah, this is just such a classic design car. It's beautiful, and um, it's got nine days to go, and it's already at $137,000. Now, probably about seven years ago, you could have bought one for under 100000 in the US, but these days the, the collectability of these vehicles and, and people realizing what these cars are all about um, has sent the pricing up crazily. And um, yeah, this is a, yeah pretty cool, but pretty high price as well. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, they generally are. Uh, for those, but yeah, they they were a unique car, and I was a fan a fan for me yeah. as well when that uh, appeared in Bond all those years. I'll ago. never forget when I was in um, when I was in Germany for the very first time. I remember seeing a, a blue one, and now this is during winter. I was in Munich, and um, they had the the blue hardtop driving it in the snow and um yeah I, I still have the photo it was just like one of those things where nobody else really cared but for me it was special <laughs> it was great to see him yeah. because we don't have them here in australia there is only one or two um one of them being at bmw and um yeah you won't see one on the road but over there it was a still a special thing for me to to see oh yeah i see one out, out in the wild yeah it's a, it's a different world these days, um, and <laughs> with how things are, we won't be seeing one overseas anytime soon because of the travel <laughs> restrictions. But we'll, you know, yeah. these photos will suffice for now. But looking at some international news, we've got Maserati um, teasing a smaller SUV. So they've been dropping a few hints here and there, and um, yeah, this is a. I think we spoke about it last week or the week before. Um, yeah, this is going to be interesting it's the, the is it called the Grecale or Grecal? I don't know I'll probably offend a few Italian people with that I would 
say probably Gracali could be yeah. right. Um, I should have asked my friends at the local Maserati dealership when I was in the other week how they're actually going to pronounce it. Um, but yeah, this is pretty exciting. It, this is cool. Um, the way that I read it um, when I read it during the week is that I'm pretty sure, and I stand to be corrected if I'm wrong, please let me know, but I think all these photos were taken by Maserati staff. Yeah, right. So they're getting involved to sort of snap these shots of this prototype running around um, before it's actually announced. But yeah, this is cool. I'm excited for this. I mean, I'm a massive fan of the Levante. Um, but the fact they're going to have a smaller baby brother, I think this is huge for the brand. I think it'll do really, really well um, because who wouldn't want to be able to, you know, get a, an entry point SUV into one of the coolest, you know, uh, Italian brands out there besides, you know, besides yeah. Ferrari or, you know, if you're, a, if you're a Maserati fan, you know, what's not to love? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I wonder, I wonder if they'll be using or teasing an EV or hybrid version. Um, oh, they have this. to. With the Ghibli EV coming, um, it makes perfect sense for for this to be um, uh, to, to to obviously have a an EV yeah. version of this. Um, and they're saying that you know the Turismo and the Gran Cabrio as well um, are going to be EV. Um, and EV and internal, so they're running both. Uh, and then, you know, I think it, it would it's it's a no-brainer to, to be going down this route to be, be doing an EV version of both this and the Levante and, and most of yeah. the range. So. Uh, yeah, so I was just having a look. I just did a bit of a search. So, yeah, so they are saying um, we expect it here in Australia to be priced around 100000 um, with a 245-kilowatt, 48-volt mild hybrid, 2-litre four-cylinder, turbo petrol um with the e-turbo so it's borrowing the same stuff out of that ghibli hybrid so um for a hundred thousand that's i think we would see quite a few on the road don't you think um yeah. particularly oh definitely with the i think it would certainly mix up that market oh, for, for sure hundred thousand dollar suv market um someone wants something a little bit different i think it'll be quite like i said it'll be quite big for the brand fingers crossed it just has that growl of some sort um that you know, is iconic to Maserati. Being a being a um, uh, being a Maserati, you think it's got to have uh, that that wonderful noise presence that they uh, that they do from particularly from a car. Yeah, for sure. So Audi, um, with the new leadership in place, it's they're, they're saying that the A1 might not survive, but the A2 and R8 EVs could be possible. So this is part of the, you know, we're talking about the the big shifts, particularly in Europe. Um, is this the end of the A1? We don't we don't see as many on the road here. I, you know, it's not really lighting up sales records, but um, but this is an, an interesting move that they're making, particularly after the um, the EV they just unreve- you know sort of revealed. Um, you know, is this the start of just like uh, uh, what brand were we just talking about? I've just completely escaped my mind. Uh, Jaguar, sorry, um, from earlier. Jaguar. Oh yes, where. You know, we're going to start to see some 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 models cut as the you know some of these brands start to really focus on what they're going to be delivering in a number of years' time in a you know in an EV only world. Um, but th- this is interesting. Yeah, I'm not really surprised. I think that with the the success of um, you know the Q series Q2 and Q3 and, and everything like that, I I'm not surprised that they're really thinking that they will go down that route of maybe the a the a1 disappearing off the market because i think it'll be picked up by the the demand in that sort of small to to medium suv market as a Mm. result 
Yeah, I think, um, yeah, this is going to be an interesting space and they have sort of referenced Tesla in some areas of set standards for new technology and they observe them. So I think this is um, like what we're saying with with what Tesla has done in, in previous episodes. They're really, they might not, set the world on fire in terms of um, sales numbers compared to what the other manufacturers are coming through with now. Um, certainly, they're they're playing a crucial role. And they're still, you know, they delivered half a million cars last year. But the thing is, is that if, if they... It'd be great to see them survive, absolutely. But if they don't because of the increased competition and quality and all that kind of thing... It, it certainly will still continue to play a crucial role in just focusing all of these car manufacturers and what, you know, these are the key points of what they should be focusing on. This is what the standard is to expect now. And this is, you know, if they don't deliver on that, well, they're going to miss the brief and, and potentially have a dud model on their hands. So, um, yeah, this is really interesting and it's not going to be... I think it's, it, it's, it's certainly not going to be the end or, you know... It's it's only to be just the start of I think a huge shift in model lineups and and um, even if they if they keep the same model you know the nomenclature around a two a three a four etc um, we're going to see these model lineups be quite drastically different um, you know in the next seven seven years or so yeah I think so I think it'll be very interesting to to see where it goes um, and which way they head and, and how they're going to change and particularly what yeah. said, like we're talking about the, the, the where the EV models come into the to, to come into their range where we're already seeing that both Toyota and, and Lexus have talked about that they're going to bring in hybrid versions of most of their models um, and Toyota's also going to bring in a couple more pure EV models as well um, I think it's interesting to see that. And, yeah, I think most brands will try and spread that across. I was listening to a conversation during the week um, on an interesting online chat group talking about um, EVs and from a Mercedes-Benz point of view and how much they're going to be pushing sort of the EQ brand for them uh, as being as as big as probably AMG and and what they're trying to do. So uh, it's similar with Audi with e-tron and everything else. So I think, yeah, I think... The electric hybrid, plug-in hybrid brand, I think, is so crucial for most of the brands now to have some form of um, play in that market to to really show their presence. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it's going to be interesting. So the next next story which we have is the semiconductor shortage that's currently impacting a lot of North American um, productions. But it's going to be if if we continue to have um, this the, these shortages that are impacting what impact will that also have on EVs and, and this move of um, will we be more sensitive will, will car makers be more sensitive if they're rolling out EVs which are very much reliant on these computer systems and utilisation of these chips um, what, how are these companies building in the level of risk or what's the acceptable risk they have for these sorts of problems because yeah it's um, when, when you move all in on an all electric lineup you're Potentially, I, I don't know. It's, you, you could be a lot more exposed with these sorts of shortages or even a lithium-ion shortage because... Well, what they're talking about, particularly with this story that we're referring to, is that most of the brands um, are prioritising their, their more high... Their, their bigger seller models. Yeah. So, you know, 
brands like particularly from coming because this is based out of a US story is that brands you know Ford are doing obviously prioritizing their F-150 so they're they're effectively cash cow vehicles mm. that are their biggest sellers so um, it's no problems if you're ordering a model that is one of their priority ones but if you want to, something different or a model that's probably not as popular then the wait list you know the wait time may you know blow out we, we know the success of the RAV4 and how popular that was when it first hit the market in Australia and delivery times blew out to almost 12 months um, so it could be quite hard particularly here in Australia we might see the yeah. effect uh, of that um, with a lot of models because you know the demand may go to other countries and and to build them for our spec it you know may not be as much of a priority so yeah it does certainly make an interesting thing particularly when you talk about EVs um, mm, so and you know where we sit with so things. if um, if you're at home and you, and you haven't been keeping up so there is a bit of a semiconductor shortage and this is a number of different factors leading from uh, COVID shutdown to all sorts of, there's been a number of contributing factors and um, it's been affecting a lot of industries so the smartphone industry the gaming console industry um, the computer sort of enthusiast computer market as well obviously with cpus and gpus and and the like and um of course cars um cars have to you know as the new york times have noted a new car or truck can have up to 100 chips um on board for essential components so whether that's even if you look at your car right now there's going to be a chip for your infotainment screen there's going to be for your pretty much anything that has a sense that there's some sort of chip in there um your 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 digital dash etc there's there's a lot going on in there and um this demand or this shortage has actually caused a lot of problems, um, particularly this story is out of North America, as Joel said. And, um, yeah, so GM, Ford, Stellantis, which includes your Peugeots, Jeeps, Chryslers, etc., um, Toyota, Volkswagen, Honda, Nissan, and Subaru. And they've all had to adjust their production as a result of this, um, this scarcity. And so this is what we we're talking about where they're prioritizing the high profit models because essentially they've got to keep stock coming through and, and the high profit high volume is where it's really important so um, Ford for example have been prioritizing the F-150 um, however at the same time they're not like even then they're still having to adjust their their production to, to do that. So what they're saying at the moment is that dealers aren't feeling that shortage yet, um, but that's because particularly there are a lot of high inventory vehicles which they're supplying. And um, yeah, so this is a really interesting problem and um, it's not like an oil crisis or anything like that. It's like this is um, something where you can't even build the car um in in the components that go into it so you can't even get it out the factory and just have it sit there is the thing is that you can't even build it yet so yeah this is going to be really interesting to see if this continues um i expect that there's no real sign of it changing anytime soon and um also is this going to affect prices negatively as well? We've already got here on here in Oz, we've got a stock issue um, and hence why the used car market is quite hot right now. And um, yeah, so the thing is, is that is this going to um, further drive prices up and, and cause further scarcity outside of what we're already facing right now? And um, yeah, so this is going to be an interesting story to follow, I think, in general um, as we go. And yeah. Uh, you know, will this slow down new models coming through? Who knows? Um, but this is already projected in America alone to cost the industry about $61 billion, um, which is, yeah, that's, that's a lot of money in just the first quarter. 
Very much so. Um, but yeah, so well, we've got a fair bit of news to, to keep track on. We'll, we'll keep an eye on our bring a trailer as well. And um, but anything else exciting for you on this week, Joel? Uh, yeah, end of auction week for Shannon's okay. this week. So uh, looking forward to seeing where the where the results will fall from uh, from the auction this week. We'll be filming a results wrap up this week uh, to to bring you all the bring all the highlights from from the event. Um, so that should be interesting to watch. What are you driving this week? Ah, that is a good question. Um, so jumping into the i30 hatch active. So uh, nice. I've it's been a while since I've driven an, an i30. So um, I'm sort of going through all of the different models I can. So we've got the hatch and then the week after we've got the Palisade um, in the seven seat Highlander, which I'm looking forward to. But yeah, it's um it's been nice to sort of get reacquainted with the i30 and and um, across the different models and to, to go back into the, the hatch as well because like what we said last week, the, the i30 sedan and the i30 hatch are, are still very much, they share the same badge, but a lot of the other stuff is is still quite segmented um, at the moment. And yeah, it's just a, it's a nice way to get re- reacquainted with these models again. Yeah, excellent. Should be interesting to hear what you have to Yeah, say. well, um, in the meantime... Uh, leave us a review um rate us on uh, on your favorite app or within the apple podcast app and um if you have a question if you'd like us to review a particular car or even answer a buying question that you might have um send us an email shows at dailyautofix.com you can also follow joel at joel strick photo on social media and us at daily autofix i'm ash and uh thank you joel for joining us and um we hope to, to see everybody back next week uh, in your car, in your headphones, I don't know, wherever you listen to it. Um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you all here at the same time next week. Thanks, Ash. See you Bye. next week. <laughs>